Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. This podcast explores some of the themes highlighted in my book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, and my Conscious Transitions blog. Join us as we dive into the realms of our inner worlds to ask deep questions, grow more self-trust and self-love, and embrace sensitivity, creativity, and the rhythms of the natural world. If you would like to connect with me, Victoria, and others in the Gathering Gold listener community and support the podcast to help us continue our work, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash gatheringgold. To learn more about Cheryl's course offerings, including courses to support you in breaking free from anxiety in all forms, learning to trust yourself, and becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, please visit Cheryl's website, conscious-transitions.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Cheryl is at Wisdom of Anxiety, and I am at Perennials Podcast. Thank you for listening. So today we're talking about a topic that we've had multiple requests for, and at our most recent Gathering Gold meetup for the Patreon community around the spring equinox, someone asked if we could talk about creativity and all aspects of the creative process, blocks around creativity and blocks around being visible and putting yourself out there in a creative way, um, struggling with self-trust and and feeling like a narcissist for Mm. even wanting to put creative work out there and be seen. So Cheryl, you and I had a little bit of a text exchange about creativity and you said that you never saw yourself as creative when you were a kid and teenager. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's funny because as a kid, I would have said, yes, I'm very creative. But then I got, and I even minored in creative writing, creative writing. (laughs) That was my minor (laughs) in college But now, like, I wouldn't, even though I love to write poetry, to sing, um, and things like that, I have a very hard time just saying, yes, I'm a creative person. Mm. I have a hard time claiming that or feeling like that's true. I'm thinking about our, our episode about aliveness and how maybe halfway through or more than halfway through, you said, oh, I wish we had defined aliveness Mm. and what it means. I'm wondering if maybe we should define what we mean by creativity a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Jeremy Taylor, the dream worker, always used to say, everybody is creative because everybody dreams. Mm. And even if you don't remember your dreams, because a lot of people will say, I don't dream, but everybody dreams, you might not remember. And that the dreaming is evidence of our inborn innate creativity, because he always used to say, 
who thinks of this stuff? Like <laughs> dreams are so creative and they're so wild and crazy, but it's the part of us that is is the unconscious, is connected to our unconscious, is connected to something bigger than ourselves. Um, and so I think of creativity, I think it's, well, it has the word create. So what is it to create? It's to bring a, bring forth something new, right? Mm -hmm. Something that hasn't existed before. And so whether that's a new dish that you create in the kitchen or a poem or a drawing or some movement that moves through your body when you're listening to music, um, these are all creative expressions. So I think one of the blocks and one of the ways that we get stuck is in defining creativity as only something that, I don't know, is for your work or has some kind of metric of success in the, in the world. And so we tend to diminish or downplay so many ways that we are creative throughout a day. Right, and throughout a life. So that's what comes to mind for me when I think about what is creativity. What about you? Mm. Well, first, I notice almost this resistance around, like I've wanted to do an episode about creativity for a long time. Mm. And for some reason have also felt some resistance around it because it mm. almost feels like one of those topics like mindfulness where you're like, oh, someone's going to tell me why mindfulness is important. Someone's <laughs> going to tell me why creativity is so important. And, mm. and there's something about maybe like some of my resistance is because I, for whatever reason, have that difficulty claiming it. Mm -hmm. There's like something there that I'm working through, I guess. So maybe I have some frustration or something. So when it comes up, I'm like, yeah, I know it's important. I wish I could tap into it more easily or I wish I had a more effortless relationship with it. But I think there's also something about it, about trying to talk about creativity that feels like, you know, trying to talk about poetry. Yes. Rather than just experience a poem. I agree. And I think that if we try too hard to define it, it's it's like trying to trap a butterfly. It's it's trying to pin something down that by very definition is somewhat elusive. Like doing an episode on spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. It's these it's these energies that we all experience. Um, but it's hard to put our finger on and certainly put words to exactly what it is. So I think it might be more interesting or helpful to people to talk about the blocks that might come up mm -hmm. or places where we get blocked. I think it's also interesting that there's still a part of me that doesn't think of myself as a creative person as well. Mm -hmm. And yet there's also another part that just this morning, I it was like a downpour of, <laughs> I knew this episode was coming. I wanted to write down some thoughts for you. So that was that was creativity, creative energy. Um, I had so many dreams last night, as I often do. I wanted to write those down. That's creative energy, especially if I work with the dream at all or extract some kind of image 
from the dream or a metaphor. Um, I wrote a poem this morning. Did I write a poem this morning? I feel like I wrote a poem this morning. <laughs> I should look in my journal. And and I wrote a blog post while I was lying in bed. And it was just so much creative energy pulsing through me that I feel so grateful for. And that I am at a stage in my life, and I think I've been here for a long time, where I don't second guess it, right? Mm. The blog post, I wrote it in my journal. I'm so excited to go back now and see what I wrote because I don't exactly know. I'll publish it on Sunday, whatever it is. But I just trust enough that it doesn't have to be brilliant. It doesn't have to be the most perfect thing ever. Um, I know I've shared in other places and courses, maybe even on the podcast, that one of my hacks that I landed upon a really long time ago in high school when I was writing a lot of papers and would get blocked just at the first sentence, like because I was also such a high performer and high achieving student, I wanted every paper to be an A and mm -hmm. splendid and perfect and glorious and impressive. And that is an immediate showstopper, right? That kind of pressure. And so, I somehow learned how to give myself permission before every paper I wrote that it could be the worst thing I've ever written in my life. I could fail completely. All I have to do is start. And like so many things, it's the starting that is hard. Um, but I think some of the reason why the starting is hard is because of those voices that tell us it has to be perfect. And so giving ourselves full permission to fail for it the it can be the worst thing I've ever written. And then it never is the worst thing I've ever, I mean, I don't know what the worst thing I've ever, I don't know. I just would write and the papers back then would be, it was coming from the inside. It was coming, it gave myself permission to just express. And I think maybe that is part of a definition of creativity is something that longs to be expressed, that it's coming from the inside out, that if we are worrying too much about the final product or about how it's going to be perceived, about the criticism. Again, showstopper stops us in our tracks. I think the whole creative energy just contracts and shuts down, right? Um, so that's something that's been helpful for me for years. I don't have to say that to myself anymore, but I think for a really long time, whenever I would set, even when I first started writing my blog, was like, it can be the worst thing I have ever written in my life. It's fine. There's If there's something I want to say, just say it and put it out there. And I can go back later and revise and edit and do all of those things if I want to. Um, but I usually don't do a whole lot of editing. It just, I mean, yeah, I edit for typos and such, but I'm sure people find plenty of mistakes in my, I just, I don't care about the perfection anymore. And I think that is a huge liberating mindset, right, is to focus on the expression instead of on the outcome. Yeah. What you're really naming there is the inner critic, right? Like mm -hmm. the perfectionist, the voice that's saying this needs to be brilliant, this needs to be perfect. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is really like a voice of fear and I think the opposite of fear is curiosity and curiosity is what really feeds creativity. Mm. Curiosity about our inner lives and also about the world. Like I create the most when I am interested in the world and other people. Mm. And I think there have almost been times where I've shut down to other people's creations because I almost like don't even want to see how creative they are because I'm like, oh, I can never, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I could never write that well or sing that well or whatever. And um, that's such a shame because like, I think everything that we make is actually like a mosaic of the things that we love. Mm. It's like you take a little piece of this and that and this and that all these experiences, which you might be aware of or not even be aware of. It's the things Mm -hmm. we just collect Mm -hmm. as we go through life. Mm -hmm. The things that we love, that we find really interesting, like the texture is really interesting, the color is really interesting. And I think there's this voice that's often saying it has to be unique. It has to be new. Mm. And if I can't, like it's all been done before, what would Mm -hmm. I bring to it? You know, what's the point if it's not new or unique? Mm Mm-hmm. But something that came to me when I was writing a lot of papers in college was just thinking about putting voices in conversation that hadn't been put in conversation before, potentially. Mm-hmm. So like writing a thesis paper about, you know, um, I don't know, I remember writing some paper about like Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility and like Kierkegaard's f- philosophy, which by the way, there probably are papers about that, you know, but like... But not by you. Yeah, yeah. And when I think of it more as like entering into conversation, asking questions, putting together different things that I love that might seem unrelated, Mm -hmm. that actually calls for us to be like the most ourselves. Mm. And I think sometimes like we want to or think we should or think that we do maybe fit into like very specific boxes. And I think the cool thing about creativity is it actually calls for like our quirkiest, most like hypocritical (laughs) or not hypocritical. And I don't know, like I'll look at myself and I'll be like, oh, you know, I I love the teachings of Pema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh. And I also love like, um, certain rap music and hip hop. And I also love um, Jane Austen. And I also love um, Queer Eye. And I also love like, you know, uh, I'm not just like one thing. And mm-hmm. I I also, I think the most creative stuff comes when you let all the parts of yourself be present and bring things together. Mm. Mm. And that requires like stepping back from judgment and from saying like, oh, those those things don't make sense together. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you need to make more sense than that. <laughs> yes. It's making me think about one of those big blocks that comes up for people of resistance that says it's all been done before. And like, what's the point? It's all been said. It's all been done. We just had this tiny little exchange before we even started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you said that yeah, exact thing. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, and my response is, 
yes and no. In one way, there's nothing new. In yeah. one way, it's all been said and done in some form or another. Like someone has written a paper on Jane Austen and Kierkegaard, certainly somewhere. Those were the two, right? Yeah. Um, I think. I don't even remember if that was right. really So <laughs> that's likely been done and it's never been done by you. And so there's never been a Victoria. There's never been the way that Jane Austen and Kierkegaard wove together inside of the psyche of Victoria Russell and found its way into an essay. That has literally never existed. And so, yes, it's all existed and it's never existed at the same time. And I think there's some freedom in that too, of we are we each have something to share, to say, to express. Um, and it can look so many different ways. Again, you know, I grew up with a very talented mother as an artist, like she was a brilliant artist in the traditional sense of painting and drawing and all of that. And my middle brother inherited that gift. I did not. And so I felt always like, oh, he's the creative one. She's the creative one. I'm not creative. And I think a lot of people have some built-in story that grew out of their upbringing in their family life, like the role that they were pinned, pigeonholed in in their family or at school or somewhere learning I'm not this, I'm not that, whatever it is. And I didn't actually believe I was creative at all until high school, until I took my first creative writing class. And I felt something come through me that didn't feel like it was just of me, right? And so I do think part of creativity is is being an open, an open enough vessel that um that something comes through that you weren't expecting and you have that experience of oh, like, whoa, what was that? Who is that? What are those, these, these words? I wasn't expecting them to fall out onto the paper. I wasn't expecting to hear. And then like so many things, when we open up that portal and become that vessel, it feeds on itself, right? It's, it then becomes we prime our soul to then be receptors for more creative expression to, to find us. And, you know, it's a habit, it's a skill, it's something that we can cultivate. Um, I think about also my husband, Dave, who is also a brilliant visual artist, painting and drawing and all of that. I mean, totally brilliant. Um, like I have his paintings all around this studio and they're all over our house and they're so gorgeous and beautiful. And he started drawing at like age five and it's a gift. And he often says, I wish that everyone learned how to draw like they learn how to write and do math because it's such an important and teachable skill that people can actually learn and have that accessible to them. Right. So I think that's another block is the ideas we have about ourselves, the, li the limiting beliefs we carry that we carry from childhood about our own creative capacities, um, that kind of fixed mindset of you're either creative or you're not. And I think the way through that is to find the courage to, to just try, to just keep going, to just do it. Um, I know for our audience, I don't actually think the stumbling block for the most part is in the expression. Um, 
because I get so many people writing to me and I open this tab on my website of this community garden, inviting people to share their creative expressions. And there's so many and they're so beautiful and I'm so excited to keep sharing them. And I'm excited to keep sharing them in the space of the website because it's a very safe and supportive space. I think one of the bigger stumbling blocks is around, like you said, the visibility. Now I've created something, what's the next step? And for some things, there is no next step. The creation is complete in and of itself. It was for us. We're happy with it. You know, we write a poem, makes us happy, but sometimes there is a longing to share and to be witness and to be received and to be in that reciprocal relationship where you put something out and something comes back. And I think for a lot of people in our audience, that's the scarier piece, right? They're creating and creating and creating. Not every, you know, of course there's going to be stumbling blocks there as well, but for the most part, there's a lot of creativity happening and I think much less sharing because mm. it is so incredibly vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, what's funny about that is I feel like I share, like I post poems on my Instagram. I'll post like little songs on my Instagram it's not that I don't have any fear around sharing. I feel more angst around like, oh, I wish I had like a dedicated practice. I wish that like I mm. I wish that I had more of an open channel with the actual creating part. Um, what do you mean then- by that? Because you seem <laughs> from the outside. Yeah. You seem plenty creative. What flesh that out. Well, I don't want to go. That. I don't want to go too deep if that's not what you find most people struggling with, though. Well, like if, if you're struggling with it, I'm going to assume that okay. plenty of other people are because you're often a good litmus <laughs> test, <laughs> a representative. Yeah. So, I think the volume that I used to like there was a period in my earlier twenties where I wrote a lot more poetry. Like some of the poems that I share are old and it's just like, now I feel ready to share it because like years have gone by and I'm like, oh, I do like this poem. I don't feel like it's an open wound, but like maybe it would be helpful to someone else to read this Mm -hmm. sentiment. Some of them are newer, but I don't write with the same frequency and um. I think there are certain periods of life where it just felt easier for me to tap into like really a really intense feeling and Mm. then express it like being in my early 20s, like going through a breakup or falling in love. Mm -hmm. And um, I do actually have a poem on my Instagram about this idea of like, it's it's again, it's um pulls from some Carly Rae Jepsen songs. She's a pop artist who sings Call Me Maybe, which like was a huge song. I can't remember how many years ago now. Um in the poem I just I talk about should I just read it really quick? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. 
So I called the poem, Before You Came Into My Life, I Missed You So Bad, which is a line from the Carly Rae Jepsen song, Call Me Maybe. Rub the magic lamp of pop music, of youth, and outsprings possibility, what could be but isn't. A bare knee poking out of ripped jeans, Pharaoh's fury at the town carnival, the skin tangling swing up, breathless second of suspense before the drop, then heady rush of coming down. Once the bubble has burst, what's the song about? Once the heart has broken or the years have turned and you're a little less green, a little more golden, what does it all mean then? The hot night wind still blows, but mostly now it blows me home. Today, you and I lean against a stone wall, listening to a quartet by the river, the September sky unendingly blue above us. Life is bittersweet, like the fizzy drink on my tongue, like the saxophone, like the rent we pay and the fruit we'll buy from the farm stand later. And the way you say to me, it'll be all right, I still adore you. And when you're not here, I miss you so bad. I really do. I don't know if it comes through, but what I was trying to write about was like how it becomes harder to, I think it becomes harder sometimes to write or to create when you're not in like the honeymoon stage or infatuation stage, or it's not all like sparkly because it's like, you know, all the all the Taylor Swift songs we love, so many of them are <laughs> falling in love or breaking up. And then mm. she came out with Folklore and Evermore, and suddenly mm. she was writing these songs from different perspectives. And it was like, oh, you can. You can create mm. from different perspectives. Um, I would argue we didn't really get much personal music about being in a long-term committed relationship. <laughs> yes. But I was just kind of playing with that idea of like, what does it mean to create when you're more settled into your life and it's not mm. as up and down and it's not necessarily as intense? And obviously, there's always stuff to create about. It's not just like love and romance. But I was at a point where I was like, mm -hmm. oh, it requires like a deeper vulnerability. Mm. It requires facing like fear and grief, less shiny, sparkly stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think day. that, yeah, and that can be, there's the fear of going into some of the darker or harder stuff. Mm. There's boredom in the mundane, the way you have to like work a little bit harder, like we talked about in the aliveness episode. Mm -hmm. And then I just think there are times when I am like, you know, I had an idea for a novel and I started writing it recently. And then I was like, I don't know how to do this. Mm. So this voice of like, I don't know how, like this isn't, mm. there's such a big gap between what I want it to be and how it's coming out. And some of that is just like, I know that you can't get better at anything without practicing. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the tropes that enters my head a lot when I think, and I'm, I talk a lot about writing because I guess that's what I'm more mm -hmm. drawn to. But obviously creativity comes out in so many ways, as you were just saying before. But there's that trope of the writer who's like, I just have to write. It's not a choice. I just, I have to do it. Like, I would do this no matter what. It just has to come out of me. I have to. It's like an imperative. Yes. yes. 
and I it think makes, it's a trope. Yeah, but I I've do heard, think it's a trope. I've yeah, heard a lot of people, people. Yes, they probably identify with that, and it becomes part of their identity. Like I must, I must create um, because I am a writer, and if I don't, I will die. Yeah, and okay, but <laughs> it, it doesn't mean that's the only definition, right? Again, we yeah. have these ideas. We have these sort of stereotypes of what a creative person looks like. And I think I, I was shattering, trying to shatter a lot of this in my 20s and 30s, this idea that you had to be in angst and pain and anxiety and anguish in order to create good art, that um, being settled and married and with children mm-hmm. and um, what could you possibly write about that was <laughs> worthy, right, to be read? But I think there's so much to yeah. express, obviously, in all of our relationships and just our existence as humans walking on this earth, like Mary Oliver, who's such a spectacular example of somebody who writes from, I think, more the joy than from the anguish. And she even talked about in that interview that she did for On Being years ago that she purposely did not write about her trauma, from her trauma, that writing for her was the way out of her trauma and not from a place of denial. It was just, it was her source, right? It was her, it was her way of staying connected to the goodness and the beauty in this world. Yeah. And she's such an inspiration of what poetry can look like, what creative expression can look like that is not rooted in the highs and the lows. It's just mm-hmm. rooted in the ordinary observations of a life, of paying attention, paying mm-hmm. close attention to your life. And I think there's some there's that quote that um, something like prayer is paying attention, some, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think creativity is also paying attention. And yeah. so therefore, creativity is a form of prayer. It's a form of saying, I see you, life, moving through me. I see the sunlight on that blade of grass. And I find it worthy enough to put it into words or to take a photograph or to draw it because it's actually quite miraculous and gorgeous and beautiful. And this is how I witness, this is how I am in reciprocal relationship with the world happening. And that's what the poem that I wrote this morning, it was just, I mean, I don't think it's a poem unless we'd had this conversation that I would have ever looked at ever again, mm. right? And so that's the element of creativity where it's just for you. It's, it's between me and God, right? It's, it's, our, it's our private thing. And it's just my way of, acknowledging, but what it does for me is connecting back to aliveness is it it makes me feel so alive. It's like mm. an infusion. It's a surge. And is it a daily practice? No. No. I don't have some idea that poetry, writing, anything is supposed to be a daily. That's not what my daily practice is about. I do have a daily practice. Mm. It's a spiritual practice. And if poetry happens to come through, that's like an added benefit that's just icing on that cake of what my spiritual practice is, the container. Um, And sometimes 
things come through or insight. Insight's also creative because an insight is something that I wasn't thinking of consciously and the insight came through, right? And I think that's that's what finds its way often into my blog posts are is insight. Um, and so it's there, it's creative in that way. It can just be the ordinary. And so this morning, what I noticed, there are these, there's a mom, there's been a mama robin that built a nest. There's a breezeway between my studio and Dave's studio. And the mama robin, and we've had a, a robin build a nest somewhere on our property every year that we've been here. And I think this was the wisest spot that she's ever chosen. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the same robin, but it might be because it's it's sheltered. Um, robin babies are vulnerable to blackbirds, which is very sad. I've never seen blackbirds come into this area for some reason. I think they hang out more with the trees. And so anyway, we've gotten to watch these robin babies. Um, first the mama sitting on the nest and then three or four babies squished into this nest. And then, you know, they grow so fast and they're bigger every day and their little beaks and they're waiting for the mama. And I always worry every year when like, I don't see the mama for a while and are they okay? Oh my gosh, are we going to have to nurse them back? No, sure enough, the mama always comes. Babies are fine. Um, yesterday, Dave said, I, I saw the babies hopping along the rafters. So they're getting ready to fly and they're like, you know, these pudgy little spotted, they're so cute. And then this morning they were gone and I saw one fly from the nest to the apple tree. Mm -hmm. And it was like flapping awkwardly and couldn't, you know, his first flight. Like it wasn't that graceful and (laughs) they're still so vulnerable. And I just had this feeling because I have such a deep relationship to that tree, the apple tree, and it's so, the canopy is so wide and ample. It's just this mother that the tree that has taken care of me is now taking care of these robins and the babies and what it must be for the the mama robin, you know, to have an ally to have an, an an older wiser mother. I mean, I just had this whole like story in my head about mothering, really. And so I wrote it, you know, and not to be good, not to like try to find the perfect words, just to express this moment in time. Mm-hmm. And what was what alighted in me from watching the baby fly into the apple tree. Hmm. Do you want to share it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would be vulnerable because Mm. I have not even read back on it. Sure, I'll share it. We can decide. Okay. Apple holds the Robin family just as she holds me her wide, ample canopy carrying this new family, protecting them from harm as they practice flying, concealed in her leaves. She has watched over us too, our sons finding their wings, these two parents stumbling a thousand times on this parenting path. Mama Robin seems to know exactly what to do 
Maybe she has done this many springs before, but maybe not. This could be her first time mothering from nest to flight. And I imagine her now singing to Apple in her quietest song, Help Me Know the Way. Well, Cheryl, knowing that your oldest son just graduated from exactly. high school. <laughs> exactly. And he's uh, about to take flight, you know, and the, the incredible thrill and heartbreak and vulnerability mm. of that. And just, yes, very much relating to the Mama Robin and the reminder that we're not alone, that the birds are not alone that they take comfort in the trees, that we are not alone, right? Um, and for me, creativity, it's a choice too. Actually, a poem came to me last night, a first line when I was um, standing in front of the mirror at bedtime, and it was about my mother, and, um, and I didn't write it down. Mm. And it's always a little sad to me, when yeah. I make that choice, right? It's like, there it is. There's the muse. And I just like did other things. <laughs> um, my notebook wasn't right there. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't feel like going downstairs. And, um, but when I do make the choice, it's, it's just joy. It's aliveness. You know, it's connection. It's connection to all of these other beings and realms. Um, so for me, that's, it's like, I don't even know how to say it, but there is no life other than the creative life. And I, not just for me, but I really feel that for everybody that it is deeply embedded into the experience of being fully alive is mm -hmm. to in some way open to that energy field. Mm. Yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert has done a lot of beautiful work around creativity mm -hmm. with her TED Talks and her book, Big Magic. And she tells this story that I think is so funny. I think she said it was Tom Waits, the singer-songwriter, said that he would get so frustrated when an idea for a song would come to him when he was like driving or doing mm -hmm. something and he couldn't stop. And she said he finally was just like, all right, fine, go find like Leonard Cohen, I guess, because I'm driving right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so funny um, because she talks a lot about conceptualizing creativity as like this other being kind mm. of moving through you mm. as a way mm. to deal with some of the ego stuff. <laughs> mm. um, but I think, you know, the way that you can just write a poem and then just be like, well, that was just for me and I might not ever look at it again. Mm. I wonder if kind of this cultural moment with social media and everything where you can, like I post poems on Instagram and you can just instantly share anything. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that affects people's psyches around it too. First of all, just seeing, just seeing how much other people are creating, the way that people are called content creators, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the way that people can 
or try to make money from creating a lot of content, Mm. wondering if or when or how or should you share something? Is it narcissistic? Is it for money? Is it, if it's just for me, why do I even feel the need to share with other people? Does Mm. that make me a narcissist? I think those questions can get in people's heads too, because we have this opportunity and then it's Mm -hmm. like, but it can feel icky. And people Mm -hmm. are like, what do I do about this? Yes. I remember when Dave was trying to get his art, his paintings more out into the world. And he's painted his whole life. And there was the question of, is painting just enough if it's just for you, right? And my friend, Sarah, um, who lives in Los Angeles, I met when we were both pregnant with our firstborns, very creative person, also also an, an, a visual artist, um, said, yeah, but it's like if you make, if you cook an entire dinner and there's nobody there to eat it. Yeah. That there's something for some for some artists and maybe not every piece of artwork that is that happens in the sharing right in the receiving that it's it's a giving and receiving um it's it's a way that we do participate in that reciprocal relationship just like in the natural world like the way that Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about gratitude that it's our way of saying it's our way of participating back Nature gives all of this and we say thank you and we start our day with thank you and we see a gorgeous sunset and it's thank you, right? That that the masterpiece of Mother Nature gets seen and appreciated in some way that I think that there's something in our own artistic spirit that not from narcissism, not from narcissism, I mean, certainly we should be examining our intentions, but that there is a genuine need to be received. Sometimes just from one person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just read a poem to one person mm-hmm. and you feel received, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to be the whole world, but sometimes there's a longing to share with a broader audience. Maybe this will touch more people. Um, and maybe I am like needing something back and that's not narcissism. That's just being human, mm-hmm. being part, participating in, in, the creative experience of being a human. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between, like you said, just kind of wanting to be witnessed versus being like, I need people to tell me that I'm good right now, you know? And I think we can feel that. And, and I'm of course, like, I don't know. It's not like I don't have an ego. Like we all have an ego. So yes, I also don't think people should wait until they don't have an ego to share anything. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know everything that I love, every book, every poem, every song, every TV show, I wouldn't be able to love it if somebody hadn't decided to put it out there. You yes. Know? And I don't think that they're narcissists. I'm just no. like so grateful that it exists. Yes. And I, so like when I, when I like put, a poem on Instagram or something, it usually just comes from a place of like, I like this and maybe someone else would connect with it. And that's kind of that. And something that's kind of interesting to me is like, I notice there's so much 
that I would post on Instagram when I think about people who listen to Gathering Gold, people in this community, Mm. that I don't because my mind gets snagged on like a handful of people that I know in real life. Not that this isn't real life, but you know what I mean? Like people I know Mm -hmm. from high school, from work, from this or that, that I'm like, what will they think of me? Mm. Brene Brown has also done some interesting work around creativity and you know she talks about the shame the two shame tapes being mm. not good enough and who do you think you are mm. and there are just certain people that i just hear their voice and it's imagined they've never said this to me <laughs> i just mm-hmm. know them and i just imagine them seeing something and thinking like who does she think she is mhm mhm it's that second part so of the creative process, which I think is actually the third part. There's the gestation. And I think this speaks to what you were talking about earlier, Victoria, of times in your life where there's a lot of creative flow mm-hmm. and then times when, there's, when it's quiet. And I've had long stretches of time in my life where, I mean, maybe years where I didn't write a poem um, because there was just other stuff going on or I don't know. Maybe not years, but certainly swaths of time. Mm -hmm. And I think those are necessary. I think those are our fallow period, just like the garden has to lie fallow, just like we have winter, that we have times of non-doing and non-creating when we are just being and living, and that it's a time of rest and stillness internally. And so when people say, I write every day, I'm kind of like, why? Like, what? Don't you ever have times when you're not writing, when you're just sort of gathering and observing and witnessing and like that doesn't resonate with me as as a meaningful practice. In fact, it kind of irritates me because I'm like, I mean, yes, I write every day in my journal most days, but not as a practice like that, just because I do. Um, so there's the gestation time and then there's the creation, whatever comes through. And then there's the the sharing, right? The release into the world. And I love the way Marion Woodman talks about these stages in her audio series, Sitting by the Well. And she also writes a lot, talks a lot about creativity and the creative process from a Jungian perspective. That you have the artist who paints and paints and paints and paints and never, never takes the next step. And I think we have judgment of that in our culture. Like, we'll just release it. But she says that you have to have a certain amount of ego strength in order to tolerate the criticism that will likely come at some point in some way from somebody somewhere. And if, and perhaps that artist doesn't have that ego strength yet. And if they don't, then the criticism, no matter how slight, could break them. Right. And so, to have compassion for also our own capacity to tolerate what might come back when we share, when we release, when we put it out. Um, She talks about it in terms of masculine and feminine, that the feminine, this is non-gendered, that the feminine is is the vessel, is the container, is where the creativity happens, it's the womb, and then the masculine is the, is the release, is the out, you know, is the making contact with the world. And some people might spend a very long time in the vessel of the feminine, in the place of creating just for oneself, 
And then there's those who do have the longing to share. Maybe there's a part of them that's not ready, but a part of them is ready and they're they're just stuck. They are paralyzed behind the fear of what might come, even if they could handle it, but they believe that they couldn't. Um, but I will say, being somebody who is somewhat visible, that it is hard to get criticism. It is. It doesn't happen on my blog, but it certainly happens on Instagram. It just happened today um, on one of my reels. Somebody wrote the nastiest right before we started recording. This is the nastiest. I'm like, people are still writing that stuff. Like, I thought we're, you know, thought we're done with trolls. Like, who? Mm. <clears throat> I luckily I don't get it that often, but when I do, it it always hurts. Um, it happened at the beginning when I was first on Instagram and I was almost like, okay, forget it. Like this is not a safe environment. I don't need to put myself out there like this. Um, but I know the bigger one gets and I'm nowhere near, but the bigger, nor do I want to be, but people like, you know, the Brené Browns or who whatever author is out there with a huge bestseller is also going to get tons of criticism. And, you know, highly creative people tend to also be highly sensitive people. And that has got to be so hard. I think about someone like Matt Haig, who Mm. recently got off Instagram because he said it's not good for his mental health. Must be one of the most creative people. I mean, you and I both just love and adore him. His book, The Midnight Library, so fantastic, and was a massive bestseller all over the world, movie rights, the whole thing, and it almost destroyed him, that level of success, of visibility. And so we might say, I want to be visible, but there's also another part of us, and I think a wise part that says, do I? Yeah. Right? But what I think is funny is like, I think we we fear being – the worst and we fear being the best at the same Mm. time. And I just want to say, you're probably neither. (laughs) And like, like I had a a voice teacher who used to say to me and Amanda, my sister, when we were like 11 years old, taking voice lessons, like there will always be someone better than you. Yes, always. And, and also it's just like, most people are not like viral phenomenons. Yes. Most people don't like put out one Instagram post with your with a little poem and all of a sudden yeah. it's ever like I think we have this fear because we see all these exceptions of like what mm-hmm. could happen. Um so I don't know like if that's comforting or not, but I think that usually <laughs> what happens is much less of Attention. a reaction than mm-hmm. you think, which can also be disappointing for people, I think, mm-hmm. if they kind of are craving some reaction and validation and like, this will make yes. me feel like I'm good. I mean, I grew up in a family of a lot of performers and my dad would be like, Victoria, you're going to write the great American novel one day, you know? <laughs> That's really sweet. It's sweet. But and- also pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think something that I also think about a lot is like there's different 
approaches to creativity. Like I think some people write every day because writing is their craft. And in the same way that someone like is a runner and they're training for a marathon and so they like run a little bit every day. Like I think that there's different ways to approach things. And I have a lot of respect for like getting really good at the craft of something. Mm. And Mm. that is different related to but different from like I just want to express myself Mm -hmm. because also things that we think like I think back on some poems I wrote when I was like 21 that I thought were so unique and then I went and worked for a poetry festival for the past almost 10 years and I've read 500 versions of that poem that I thought was so unique Mm -hmm. because it was kind of pure expression Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of knowledge or craft Mm -hmm. um And so there's just different approaches too. And I have a deep respect and appreciation for all the different ways that we approach creativity, you know? For sure. For sure. Um, I want to highlight something you said earlier about sharing on Instagram and sharing because you like the poem and maybe someone else will like it too. And I think like, like the tactic of saying this can be the worst thing I've ever created as a way to bypass the critic. Um, When we're at the expression stage, I think a helpful mindset can be if this touches one person, Mm -hmm. it will be worth it to share, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't have to change the whole world. But I know from the people listening, I know how much you have to offer. I know our Gathering Gold community is full of immensely creative, wise, insightful people who might be sitting on something that could be helpful. You know, maybe it will help one person. Maybe it will touch five people. And can that be enough? Yeah. And I, yes, this is yes and. I saw Elizabeth Gilbert give like a live talk at a library here in New Jersey years ago. And someone said something about, you know, I really, I love what you did with Eat, Pray, Love, and I really want to write something to help people and I want to help people. And she was like, she was like, I think sometimes when you're doing it to help people, like you're creating it because with the intention to help people, it doesn't always come out very good. (laughs) I think it's the difference between the creative. Yes. Stage and the ex- what it well it yes. will take to sh- once you've already created exactly it, right and that we are at the expression expression and sharing stage yes yes and I think I think sometimes it's just I want to be seen in this way um, mm-hmm. if you are someone who hasn't let yourself express certain things openly or outwardly mm-hmm. it can be an act of just like. I just kind of want to be seen in this way. Mm. Like I want to be able to express this out loud without fear or shame. Or maybe there's some fear, but like I just, Mm -hmm. I want to take this like little risk. Again, talking Mm. about aliveness and risk taking, Mm -hmm. like sometimes there's part of it is just the risk of like being seen and people saying, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel the same way too. Um, Or... I'm glad I know that about you now or whatever. Like there's something Mm -hmm. about 
that risk of being seen that can be very powerful too. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. So many intentions that can go into that stage of taking the risk. And I think it's always a risk to put your creative expression out there, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those vast topics. It's like an ocean that we're just really skimming the surface of. I am noticing the character that's saying like, did we have anything you to offer? Elizabeth Gilbert already said it all. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But here we are showing up in one of our ways that we are collaboratively creative. No, we don't know what's ideas, what conversations we're going to weave through these hours together, but we're here putting it out there for whatever way something might land in in a new place in somebody, even if it's been heard before, Mm -hmm. even if it's been said before. Um, I think that's been part of my hesitation to doing this episode is that by no means do I think I'm any kind of expert on (laughs) the creative process. Like I imagine Elizabeth Gilbert, I've never (laughs) even read her book or watched her TED Talks, but I'm sure they're brilliant and fantastic (laughs) and amazing. Um, (laughs) But nevertheless, to our point, here we are, right? Offering our little take on this vast topic of creativity in the hopes that something we've said will land in a comforting way or an inspiring way, or maybe give some little push in some direction where there might be stuckness. And, you know, I think that's the most we can hope for. Yeah. Whenever we do an episode on one of these topics, it always like makes me think about it differently, makes me pay attention Mm -hmm. to it in my life. And like, just last night, I made a little Instagram reel with videos from this trip I just made to visit Martin, and we mm. were in Washington State. And I, you know, used this beautiful song that I've been really loving lately. And I was like, I used to love making like music videos with my friends when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and editing them, and all of yes, that. So and it's fun. one of those things where. I just, you know, it's like there's this voice in my head saying, why do it? Mm-hmm. And then there's this other voice that's like, why not? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, and just yeah. like accepting the invitation and just, I guess, like who who cares if it – I think nowadays there's often this, this voice of like, well, what's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think what we're saying – above anything else is like the point is your life and your soul Mm -hmm. and your aliveness Mm -hmm. and your sense of connection. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, who cares about the algorithm? (laughs) And who cares about the algorithm? Yes. In all senses of that word. Yes. Right. That we are, that it does matter, that your soul matters, that Recording your life in this particular way in this moment, expressing your soul in this way in this moment, that it matters. You know, I think about what you just said. Um, every time Everest goes on a trip, and he's gone on lots of trips lately, it's his school travels a lot. 
And then we went to New York in the spring. He documents it. He videos it. He photographs. He takes his GoPro. He does time lapses. And then he makes these fantastic videos. Um, and it's so, it's a keepsake. It's a, it's a record of through his lens. It's, you know, it's, it's a point of view, but it's through his lens of this experience. And then what a gift it is to be able to share that, you know, with the others on the trip, whoever was there, that they now also have this document, mm-hmm. yes, through his eyes, but it's still, he, and he spends hours and hours and hours editing and the music and the time, the whole thing, mm-hmm. the whole process. And it's just, it's like a ritual for him coming home from a trip. He's going to make, he's going to document. And will it ever be seen by anybody other than, you know, the four of us or the 15 people on the school trip or whatever? No, but that's not the point, right? It's just a creative expression, a way to document and record and say, I was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a way to like really experience it and feel it and process it, I think, sometimes yes. too. Yes. Like really yes. let it be in you. Yes. And be with it. Yes. And, you know, I think one of the challenges, one of the roadblocks or the things that I hear people say a lot is the worry about not being present. Um, anxiety does take us away from the present moment. So, there is that, but I think one thing creativity does is it brings us back into the present and then it doubly so, like if I write a poem about a moment, you know, when Everest was seven and then I read back on it, mm-hmm. I remember, right, it, it, it etches it into memory yes, in a deeper way because I wrote that poem. Yes, we could take a photograph or whatever and, you know, that helps us remember too. But I think, you know, there's so many HSP elements like time slipping through our fingers and the mm-hmm. passage of time and that there's something about creativity that creates little notches of, yeah, right, I was here and I was there and we were there. And there was that moment on the grass when Everson and I were talking about chlorophyll when he was, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it was. And I wrote a poem and I quoted Walt Whitman and, and the whole memory then is recorded and yeah, there's a hundred thousand million other memories yeah. that will not be recorded, yes. but at least that one was. Yeah, I just last night I re-listened to an episode of Perennials, which I mm. never do because I did an interview with this novelist Erica Carter a few years ago, and I was just thinking about creativity and that conversation in particular, like always, really stuck with me. And I said something at the end that I don't even remember this happening, but I told her that <laughs> um, I had gone to spiritual direction. I was we were I was talking about like intellectualizing stuff a lot, and how I had gone to spiritual direction, and I was asking my spiritual director for more books about self compassion, mm-hmm. and my spiritual director said, "I don't think you need to read another book." about it. I think you just need to, I think you know what it is and I think you know how to do it. And I think you just need to practice it. Yes. I didn't remember that happening in my life. Yes. Right. And then I listened back to it last night and I was like, oh, that's beautiful and profound. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, again, that can ignite so much anxiety about all the things that have that we don't already remember. slipped through our fingers. But yes, I do think there's something really beautiful about when we are so moved, when we do mm-hmm. find the time, mm-hmm. when it does call to us loud enough that we answer mm-hmm. and we spend that time making. It's, it is a really beautiful little fossil in our lives. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you. Mm-hmm.